or actually there's a promise found throughout the entire Bible that any of us can claim. If I seek God, I will find him. In this series of messages, we're looking at how finding God brings purpose to every area of life. And as you live the purpose God's given, there's a tremendous amount of meaning found in that purpose. It's interesting that most people in America believe in God as described in the Bible, 56%. It's a, it's a close majority, 56%, but it's still a majority. Um, here's a chart from a recent survey in 2017 by Pew Research. People are less religious. They don't attend church as often, but they continue to acknowledge the spiritual component of our, our makeup. Eighty percent of those surveyed stated they believe in God, and even nine percent of those who said they don't believe in God expressed belief in a higher power or spiritual force. Sixty-two percent of agnostics surveyed say they don't believe in God as described in the Bible, but they believe in some other kind of spiritual force. Only three in ten agnostics say there is no spiritual power at all. This shows how difficult it is for us humans to deny the spiritual component of our makeup. We, we typically don't, because without a spiritual dimension, life is just mechanics. <laughs> it's, it's a real drag. Uh, Even though there's this general sense that God or someone or some force is out there, many people don't bother to seek God. They aren't sure where to start if they did seek God. Last week we talked about all that's stake, that's at stake in the search for God's stake. Wow, that made me hungry. All that stake. Now, we didn't talk about meat. We talked about all that's at stake in the search for God, according to the Bible, where we'll live for eternity, a life that increasingly comes together one that, that rather than one that unravels, purpose and meaning that flows through every arena of life. This, this is what's at stake. New TV series caught my attention uh, recently. God friended me. This is a great image that you see. It, it, the finger reaching out is from Michelangelo's famous painting, Creation of Adam. Uh, it's found on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. The main character of the show is an atheist to whom God reaches out. Let's watch this trailer together. I thought I had it all figured out, but then... I got a friend request from God. (laughs) What? You're being catfished by God. Hey, John Doe! Somebody stop that guy! Are you okay? I think you just saved my life. I don't know who's behind this. Thank you. Or why they chose me. But let me get to the bottom of this. That's really fun. Fun premise. 
He's going to investigate. God friends the main character on the show on social media, and then he suggests, he gives a friend suggestion, and then he goes on a, a, a mission to help the person that is suggested as a friend. This, this really parallels the purpose that God brings to everyday life. He gives mission to live out in every arena of life that makes life meaningful. I, I don't think any of us are expecting God to friend us on social media. Are, are you? <laughs> I don't know. That'd be cool. I think it'd be cool. That would be awesome. Get a friend request from God. Uh, that's not the way it works, however. Uh, even though we shouldn't expect a friend request, the Bible says that God invites you to seek him and know him. That's what Michelangelo was saying in his famous painting on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Pursuing the knowledge of God is an ancient pursuit that people just can't let go. But, but how do I know God? How do I love God when I can't see him? Most of us desire a connection with God. Most of us admit there's more to life than the mechanics of it all. An important question in seeking God is, how does he make himself known? How, how does he let us know that he's there? If I want to seek him, where do I look? The Bible has answers. According to the Bible, there are at least three ways God makes himself known to us. The first is through creation. Psalm 19, 1 and 2 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. The heavens are majestic. When you gaze at the stars on a clear night, they generate this sense of awe. This is a picture taken through a telescope. One way God makes himself known to us is through creation. Our, our solar system is an amazing work of order and design. <clears throat> Study of the earth and its position in the solar system shows us that if we were slightly closer to the sun, we would burn up. If the earth were just slightly smaller, the atmosphere that allows us to breathe would be impossible. Jupiter, where, where it is hung in the sky, uh, it's the largest planet in our solar system, and it protects us from being pelted by asteroids. It's an interesting thing, the order even of our solar system, much less the universe. If, if you'd like to look into this for yourself, check out privilegedplanet.com. Uh, it's on your listening guide there. Uh, here's a picture of the, the website. You can order a book or you can watch, you can rent and watch the video online at, at that site. A major piece of evidence for God is the beauty and order in the world he's made. If, if you take in the majesty of a beautiful piece of God's handiwork, it, it draws you to consider how that came to be. I've really enjoyed the views these last couple weeks. 
I mean, it's cold. I'm Californian. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not fond of long periods of cold. But, wow, the picture, here's a picture a friend of mine posted on Facebook. Uh, our view of the mountains has just been majestic. And it, it, when I see that, I'm, I just enjoy the beauty. It's awesome, truly awesome to see the beauty that God has placed in his creation. The Apostle Paul also points to creation as a source of knowledge about God. In Romans 1.20 it says, For his invisible attributes, speaking of God, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. This is one way we know God. We, we see the order and the design, and it draws us to consider who, who in the world, what mind could put that together? Who has the power to create something that majestic? A second source of knowledge about God is our conscience. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans to lay the groundwork for our faith. And he also mentions that what goes on inside of us is another way God makes himself known to us. Romans 2.15 says, They, speaking of people, all people, show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse and even excuse them. So there's this thing that goes on inside of us as we live our lives. We know inherently that some things are right, some things are wrong, and it our conscience accuses us. <clears throat> there are all kinds of things that go on in our spirits. When we pause to think it over, we know deep down that we're more than biomechanical machines. <laughs> we're just we're we're just more than that. Uh, Mark Twain said it this way. Man is the only animal that blushes or needs to. That's right. Finding God is a critical pursuit. It's, it's a crucial pursuit. It's the most important pursuit of our lifetime. C.S. Lewis was an atheist who turned to Christ. And at one point, he reflected on his stint as an atheist before deciding to follow Christ. And here's what he said. My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing the universe with when I called it unjust? In other words, there must be another explanation. This, this idea, this sense of conscience, what's right and wrong, comes from somewhere. That was the logical line of reasoning that helped move Lewis to believe in God's existence and eventually commit to follow Christ. The final most complete way God makes himself known to us is through Christ. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 says, 
Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. God made himself known in the past, before this was written, before Hebrews was written. He made himself known to a select few prophets and forefathers of Israel, and he revealed himself progressively over time. More and more, the people of Israel got a picture of who he was until the complete picture came together when Jesus Christ stepped into history. This was the complete revelation. Notice what Hebrews says about Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He is God. Jesus walked and talked with real people while he was on earth. He, they, people witnessed his miracles. They heard his teaching firsthand. They experienced his resurrection up close and personal. We have a man in history who claimed to be God, and we can look back and investigate his life to decide whether or not he is who he said he is. There are many books to help with this investigation. Josh McDowell uh, was a man who, he was a law student, and he went on a search, uh, he went on an investigation to disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He, what he did is he, he put the resurrection in a courtroom and he weighed the evidence. And he wrote a book, a very thick book, called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. He wrote another volume, More Evidence That Demands a Verdict. It's just as thick. <laughs> They're very thick books. But he also wrote a book. It's very helpful, very easy. I saw a video this week that where he talked about More Than a Carpenter, a very small book. We have some on the back table over the information table that you could uh, take with you if you'd like uh, to read more about this. But um, he, on this video, he was saying, if I were to sit at a coffee table with you and just discuss the resurrection or why Jesus is more than just a carpenter from Nazareth, these are the things I would point to. I would just, we would just have this conversation back and forth. It would, frankly, it would be a long conversation, but that's, that's the, the idea. It's very easy read, a way you can start your investigation. It'll give you a head start to understand how to investigate who Jesus was and is. Jesus said that he's the way to God. If we want to know God, the Bible says we must get to know him. If you're investigating what it means to follow Christ, first you have to be convinced of his identity as God, and then you give yourself to follow him as Lord. According to the Bible, this is where you start if you're seeking God. And we know God will not likely friend us on social media 
But Jesus showed that friendship with God is available to us. Now, you might be wondering, how, how does that work? How, how do I become a friend of God? We've been talking about that. How do I develop a friendship with God? We looked at three ways that God makes himself known to people who live on this planet. But how do I develop more of a friendship with him? How, how do I get to know him? And depending on your religious background, this point itself, friendship with God is available to us, might seem somewhat sacrilegious. Some look at God as inaccessible, way out there, removed from what's going on in the world, too busy to care about what's happening and to care about us on a personal level. But if you dig into the Bible, you find just the opposite. He's very involved in what is going on in our world, and God has done all that we need to make a friendship with him possible. He stepped into history in the person of Jesus Christ. Friendship with God starts and grows in ways similar to other friendships. This is where it started with Jesus' earliest disciples, John 1, 35 through 36. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples, followers, basically, Learners, a disciple literally means learner. Uh, John was a cousin of Jesus, and God gave him the role of announcing that Jesus was here. The Israelites, the Jewish people, have been waiting for centuries for the Messiah to come. And John had the role of announcing, this is him, this is the guy right here, this is the Messiah. Uh, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Lamb of God would bring to mind for the Jewish folks listening, it would bring to mind the, the, the sacrificial lamb that was given for forgiveness of sins. So in making this statement, John's saying, Jesus is the one who will bring forgiveness of sins once and for all. John uh, 1, 20, uh, 37 through 39 goes on. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent the day with him. It was about the 10th hour. When he was on the earth... People got to know Jesus the same way you and I get to know somebody. They spent time with him. They shared a meal with him. They opened up. They shared a little about themselves. He shared a little, some about himself. They had a good and honest conversation back and forth. In the same way, we can spend time with the Lord today. We spend it through prayer and getting into the Bible, the Word of God. We can have a conversation with God through prayer. If you're seeking God, start asking Him to show Himself to you. Prayer is a way we seek God to find Him. It's also a way we seek God to know Him. So we seek God to find Him in the beginning. Once we find Him, we seek Him to keep knowing more about him so we can gain understanding. And I, I ask God questions all the time. If something's weighing on me, 
if I if I have like a burden about something or it's it's just I'm anxious about it, I I turn it over to God. I ask God for help with this. Or if I'm if I'm trying to gain some insight or wisdom or I'm trying to make a decision, I ask God the question. I write it down. I I pray it every day. I ask God for help. When I'm dragging motivationally, I ask God, God, would you would you, you know, just give me the motivation to do what I need to do? Would you strengthen me in my inner person? Would you help me figure this out? Would you get, and you know what? He does. Sometimes he answers with a prompting. Often he'll strengthen me in my inner person and I'll be motivated to do what I really didn't want to do. The thing I, the thing, the very thing I dreaded. The Bible, so prayer is one way God speaks to us. Or we speak to God and he communicates with us in our spirit. The Bible is the way God speaks to us. Specifically, it's the word of God. As you read the Bible, the words jump off the page and speak to your heart of hearts. If you attend on Sundays, uh, it's God who uses his word to speak to your heart. Often I'm, I'm accused of saying things directly to certain people. <laughs> I don't, uh, you know, sometimes people say, hey, uh, were you sitting at my breakfast table this morning and hearing my thoughts? Uh, no. <laughs> Obviously I was not. I did not transport myself there. But it's God who speaks through his word. Isaiah 55 says, his word will not return empty, but it will achieve the purpose for which he sent it. God uses his word. What I try to do is walk through the, the, the Bible week by week, and the words have power. They're living and active. They're sharper than any two-edged sword. They cut to the heart. At times, that's not me. That's God. I try to just stay out of the way. I try to get us ready to hear what God is saying and what God wants us to hear. When you read the Bible on your own, God speaks in the same way. If you open up and ask him to speak to you, if you're seeking to know him better, that's how it happens. So this this is a major way to love God. Spend time with him, praying, reading the Bible to understand him better, to hear him speak to you. When you pray and read, you find out that God understands you completely. <laughs> and he's very gracious. That's a, that's a fantastic foundation for a good relationship, isn't it? That <laughs> really is. Last week we saw how loving God is the number one reason for me. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. Jesus replied, he was answering a question, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's the number one commandment, the greatest commandment. Today, we're answering the question, how do I love God when I can't see him? How do I do that? Um, we love God the same way we love our family and friends. We pay attention to him. We spend quality time with him. 
And since he is God, there's an added dimension that I want to get to in a few moments. As time went on, Jesus revealed more of his plan to his friends, and near the end of his life, he made it clear that his time on earth was coming to a close, and they're trying to grapple with that, and frankly, they're trying to hold on as long as they can to him being there with them. Uh, They don't think they're ready to say goodbye, and then he gives them the key to deepening your friendship with God. He says, obedience is the way to deepen your friendship with God. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Because Jesus is God, because God is God, you show love to him by obeying him. By knowing what he says to do in different situations we face in life and then doing it. This is how you bring honor to the one who made us. It makes sense that since we are made by God, it makes sense that we do what God wants us to do. Something made by a maker brings honor and glory to its maker when it does what it was made to do. We love God by knowing what he wants and doing it. I I need to know what the Bible says about living, about relating rightly to my husband or my wife, to to, to my kids. I have adult kids. Many of us have younger kids. How do I parent my kids? What does the Bible say about parenting? My kids. How does God expect me to treat my friends? How does he expect me to go about my job? How does he want me to handle my money? I need to know these things. This is, this is how I love God. I grow in my understanding of what he wants from my life, how he wants me to live my life. What kind of character does he want me to grow in? What, how important is integrity to God? So I grow in my understanding of how he wants me to live my life, and I do what he says. That's how I love God. We love God by knowing what he says about life and setting out to live for him, to do what we know. Now, we're not going to know everything, but we, we can know some. We can know more. We can grow in our knowledge of God, our understanding of how he's put life together. And we need to do what we do know about God's will. John fourteen twenty one says, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love him and show myself to him. This is how we grow in our understanding of God. This is how we grow in our knowledge of God. Jesus says the person who loves God has his commands and obeys them. Doing God's commands is one way we find out how real he is. We we do them and we find out He's the one that designed life to work a certain way. 
and not doing his commands hurts. It really does. God shows himself to us as we do what he tells us to do in the Bible, and he confirms in our spirit how real he is and in actually what goes on in our lives. He's arranging the circumstances. He's responding to our choices. Obeying God is the opposite of our native responses. Um, And so it's often a fight to do what God wants us. But here's some examples uh, of choosing the opposite of native responses and watching God come through as we obey them. The Bible says uh, in Proverbs, a soft answer turns away wrath. It, it turns away anger. I don't know about you, but when somebody speaks a harsh word to me, soft is not what happens in here. <laughs> that is not what happens. Oh, I get fired up. But we experience the truth of this verse when we hold back from returning anger for anger and give a soft reply that absorbs the blow. We find out how real God is through this as God confirms the truth of his word and the Bible in real life. I mean, this, this is how you find out God, and this is what Jesus is saying. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. This is how you grow in your understanding of God. This is how you get to know Jesus better. You do what he says, and then you find out how real the Bible is. The Bible says to offload your worry and fears by turning to God in a prayer of faith. Instead of worrying about it, ask God for it. Seek his help. I've done this over and over and over again. Instead of worrying about it, just go to God. I've seen God work in so many ways. And I get, you know, I'm facing things in life. I don't know how it's going to go. We, you know, that's part of life. We don't know how different circumstances and situations are going to turn out. And I'm all wound up in here. And if I can cast my, my anxiety on God, I find peace. Usually for a few moments, maybe for longer, then I gotta keep casting. I gotta keep giving it to God. I gotta keep turning it over to Him. And God always proves Himself faithful. So I find peace. I find out this is, this is the pattern that God gives. And this is, the Bible's real. It's dealing with real stuff. Philippians 4, have no anxiety about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will come into your life. You, you will experience it as you turn it over in prayer. That is real. That's just not true like a fact. That is real. I'm often tempted to be stingy. That's my native bent. God is generous. He wants people to be generous. He wants us to share. When I choose generosity as God commands me to show, 
I find out how real he is. In fact, in Malachi 3, it's, it's the only passage where it says we can test God. You don't want to mess around with testing God. But he says, look, give and it will be given to you. Press down, shaken over, running over into your lap. Malachi says, um, give to God and watch how he works. Pulled back from God and it's like locusts are going to eat up your resources. But give to God and watch him bless. I've seen this in reality in my own life. I've, I've, I know better. When I was in graduate school, I was in seminary, and um, I, I either forgot, I can't, that was a long time ago, so I can't guarantee that my memory's accurate. My wife's not going to correct me right now if it's not. But uh, I, I remember one time I was behind on my giving to God for about 400 bucks, something like that. And my car broke down. And uh, the, the bill was bingo, 400 bucks. And it, it God, I, I proved the reality of Malachi 3. <laughs> I knew better. I was holding back from God. And he took it out of my hide. And that hurt. Because I'm stingy by nature. And I found the opposite is true. When I give to God, when I give and I'm generous and I, I use my money for his purposes, I, I, can't, I can't do better than that. He, he meets my needs and beyond. I've seen God interact with my wallet often. He, he really does meet my needs as I trust him and as I obey him with my finances. And he blesses me far beyond what I give. This is the way it works. This is, but the only way to find this out, to discover this, is to go ahead and obey. You obey. You give a soft answer instead of a harsh one. You turn your worry over. In prayer, you give when you don't really necessarily have that native reflex. And you watch God respond. He, he's, he's amazing. He's involved in what's going on in our lives. How do I know and love God? I get to know him better. I spend time with him. I, I pay attention to him in prayer and getting into the Bible. And then I do what I'm learning about him. I do what I understand he wants me to do. And as I do it, he reveals himself to me. I get to know him better. This is, this is what we're focusing on today. How do I love God? I, I obey him. As I wrap up and the worship team joins me here on stage, I'd like to ask you to consider one of these next steps. They're on the listening guide uh, that's in your program. Here are my suggestions. There may be another one that God's laid on your heart. But my next step today is to aim to set aside 
to pray, uh, sorry, aim to set time aside to pray and read the Bible three days this week. John, Acts, and Romans. If you're going to start out in reading the Bible, John is one of the biographies about Jesus. It's a great place to start. Acts is uh, a book about the history of the early church, uh, the very first, very early church uh, when it first started. And then Romans lays the foundation for faith. A lot, a lot of good stuff in those three books. It's a great place to start. But aim to set time aside to pray and read the Bible three days this week. And then obey God by, as I've been talking, maybe God's laid on your heart some thing you know to do that you haven't done or that you haven't been doing, obey God by. Just put that in uh, the blank there for your own self. And then memorize John fourteen twenty one. That would be another good step. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will love my, my father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. These are great steps to take. You may have something else God's laid on your heart. To do, Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the truth in your word and how real you are and how real it is. I pray that, God, you would help us to take the steps you've laid on our hearts to take today and that you, God, in the name of the Lord Jesus, would help us to grow in our knowledge of you. And in, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.